Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, um, good overnight. Um, this is Anthony, sober. Why are you looking at me like that? You should say good overnight. Yeah, because someone could be listening to us on a jet plane. Oh, I, I see. I listen to podcasts regularly on planes and... Um, anyway, so I thought I'd say good overnight in case someone happens to be listening to us on a plane. Perhaps they're up in the middle of the night with a baby or a loved one, or they're just they can't sleep because they've realised that our podcast is now live and they want to give it a listen. Uh, anyway, I'm Anthony Price. I'm still caught up in that good good overnight. Good, good overnight is that a term? No. Ah, you've just made it up. I think so. I think it's quite clever because if you're on the cusp between good evening. Uh-huh. Good morning. It could be your go good overnight at 37,000 feet. So at a minute in, I do want to diversify, actually, because you raise a very good point. Because I once, when I worked on radio, did a prank call to um, ITV, I think it was, to ask them when the watershed finished. It starts at nine. When does it finish? Because I said, little baby little Johnny <laughs> always wakes up at five in the morning. And I want to know that he's not going to see any Rudy Doodies. Um. And they couldn't answer. Well, actually, talking about uh, the Rudy Doodies, we need to do an explicit warning. Mm. Um, but actually, finishing off from what you were saying, uh, I'm Jonathan Bradley, and you're Anthony Price. And, I'm, and you are listening <coughs> to the uh, the Global Leadership Podcast episode, I think, it, I don't know, it's something. It's an episode six or a seven, I believe. Set, wheat, nerf. Uh, you join us in Luxembourg once more. Um, we are uh, here for one more night. Tomorrow we go our separate ways. Um, after a rather fascinating week, but we won't talk shop because this is all about you and um, this week's fascinating theme and, of course, your questions. But this week's theme, I must remain silent for a moment because JB is going to make us go explicit. I'm feeling quite nervous about this actually um but on the other hand it has been one hell of a week and uh, i am probably tired i am probably emotional mm. i don't know what you are Ant, but um, i sense you might be the same very much so i need my own bed just for two nights wouldn't that be nice wouldn't that be nice uh, just for the listeners' benefit i believe and jb's the same i've been in my own bed four nights in the last 40 that's scary, isn't it? Yep. I got out of my... Uh, when I did actually get into my bed the other night, I got out of my bed in the middle of the night uh, to have a little tinkle, and I ended up in my cupboard. Did uh, Well, because it was where I thought the bathroom was, from a hotel that I'd stayed in about two weeks before. You didn't do a tinkle in the cupboard, though, did you? No, it came very close. I think my dad, uh, many, many years ago, <coughs> my dad will kill me for saying this, did do a tinkle all over his second wife's wardrobe because he assumed that that was the ensuite. Wow. Yeah. Blimey. We've covered some ground and we're barely three minutes in. <laughs> it's going to be a bit like that um, tonight, I think, because we, we've come to the end of quite a big tour. Mm-hmm. So we are, we're feeling a little bit gung-ho. And, uh, and if you've listened to previous podcasts, you'll know that I'm always slightly reluctant to use uh, swear words and to become explicit because, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, I've always been nervous about losing any listeners because we've, we've been working very hard to get to about four or five now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, although I don't think we've had anybody say that they have turned off as a result of it. No. So anyway... And we're relatively... We're not doing it for 
shits and giggles. No. So uh, anyway, I think it's important for us to to just frame the fact that this is going to be uh, potentially quite explicit. But with good intentions. So we're not doing swears for the sake of it. But when we get into this episode, I think people will begin to understand why there is a justification up front. So the topic for this evening's conversation is infinite fucking wisdom. And even by the fact that you've said those three words... um, I feel quite liberated. And I feel excited for you, your liberation. But I think listeners world over those three words when said as you've said them will probably bring someone to their mind that loves to spout infinite fucking wisdom we both know from seeing hundreds and hundreds of people in organizations over the last few years that there still is uh, an environment in many of these places where people feel it is necessary to go around giving the benefit of their infinite fucking wisdom. Is that fair to say? <coughs> it is. I've just, it's every time you say it, uh, the more you've said it, the more I can see you're like, oh my goodness, I've said it, I've said it three times now. So our, our, our attempt this evening will be to poke it, to prod it, to kick it around a bit, mm-hmm. and to say, why... Why, why is it necessary for people to go around doing that? Why do they feel that they need to continue some sort of ridiculous idea that they know everything about everything and that other people cannot possibly have the same level of wisdom as they do? I think it could be beneficial to the listener at this uh, junction for perhaps you to tell the story um, which has, uh, I guess, given birth to IFW um, as initials are, are known now to you and I when we are talking in more corporate environments and we like to slip it under the red. That was a bit of IFW there, wasn't it? We have a, a code uh, that we use and it is it is IFW. And <clears throat> we use it inside organisations and where the environment is right we will share this uh, story, which is when I first started working uh, in consultancy, many moons ago now, I worked with uh, an organization, uh, senior level execs and the CEO, and my brief uh, was to help this organization to improve the quality of its leadership and coaching. And anyway, I sat down with this group of people in a nice hotel and I asked them what they thought coaching was and they gave me a reasonable kind of idea about what it, what it was. And there was one senior exec in particular who thought that he knew exactly what it was and that he'd had considerable experience coaching practically all his life from the pram and anyway he uh, started spouting forth about it and I I wanted to get a demonstration going so I thought okay well uh, why don't you come up here and take a seat and we'll invite someone else from the senior exec team who volunteered actually and uh, 
for the story they were uh, you know in their mid mid 30s I'd say um, maybe 40s and they sat facing each other and then the whole thing kicked off and this guy started coaching the other person and it was terrible it was absolutely awful embarrassing in fact and I just thought oh god I can't let this go on anymore I cannot this is awful so I said whoa 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 stop this stop stop now please stop now and I took a massive risk I took a really really big risk and I said that is not coaching that is giving this person the benefit of your infinite fucking wisdom and there was this silence and I thought oh no Oh no, I have blown it. I have absolutely blown it. And then there was this little titter in the background. And it was one of the senior execs was having a bit of a laugh. I thought it was hilarious. And then it just rippled round the room and everyone started <coughs> laughing. And I put I looked at this guy and, and he looked he actually started off looking quite angry. But actually he then started laughing hysterically at himself which was such a relief to me. And then the whole room was laughing. And later on, he told me that this was a cathartic moment for him. He he was able to release all of the responsibility from his shoulder or shoulders. He, he felt it was a really big moment. He had been carrying all of this responsibility and had had this brand that he knew everything. And he felt he had to keep up with that. It was such a pressure. And that, that moment, he, he was freed from it. And uh, he went on to do some really, really good work and became a really, really excellent coach, in my opinion. And so that that's really where I, I felt that IFW was consolidated, certainly in my mind, and in the mind of that client. I, 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 people still use that term in that company. And it's great. And they, they use it to, to just say, look, you know, I, I know you've got a pretty strong opinion about that, but so do I. I've got some thoughts too. Wouldn't it be wonderful if IFW as a hashtag on Twitter became a thing all as a result of this podcast and mm. your your um, your story there? And, and I've heard this story a number of times and it still makes me smile because I can picture the scene very vividly. Um, and I guess you're lucky, as you say, that that person recognised, oh my goodness. But I actually have to say to many people listening, you might relate to this about somebody else, but there could be other people that think that they might think that of you as a leader. Um, and I now have IFW as a filter in my head at points where I feel I have the need to restrict what I say because I'm debilitated. I haven't had a glass of wine yet, debilitating others' ability to think for themselves because I'm worried that I'm just giving them the answers, which isn't necessarily empowering their thinking. Um, and I have to say, when, when you've told this, this story um, at various um, things that we've done over the last few years, um, generally this story resonates with so many people. And I imagine people listening now also do that. When was the last time you sat in a room thinking, do you know what, there's nothing I can add here because this person thinks they know it all 
about everything and it's exhausting and actually it takes the the excitement out of a meeting out of a room um and but on the other hand um i think as jb kind of touched upon what what has got these people to this stage where they feel that they have to have the answers to everything and i'd be honest when i was first a leader of people um i believed i had to have everything in my toolkit if i didn't know something then that was a weakness on my part as a poor manager and i don't know where that came from but we we, we've talked about this on our walks (laughs) on our multiple mile walks over the last few days but i i do wonder how much of it is a is a belief that that's what they need to have and then it becomes habit this gentleman you speak of um late 30s early thought 40s been a career i assume in a career for 20 25 years that's all he probably knows because no one's challenged it until you've done so. And I wonder how many people listening now are going to think, actually, do you know what? I'm probably a bit too keen on the old IFW here and I'm probably labelled as Mr or Mrs IFW as a result of not realising it and now I'm conscious of it. I think there's an awful lot of people in organisations who are in a shock absorber position because there is an expectation on them that they do have all the knowledge they do have all the information Mm. all the spreadsheet information all the information on everybody uh, and their inside leg measurements from (laughs) from above you know and and that that pressure to know everything and to provide that information upwards is huge and then if they're also expected to know all the information downwards this is this is a terrible position to be in and you know, I we t- we've talked about imposter syndrome and yeah. uh, you know this kind of expectation on people to to, to almost like to have this level of p- perfect knowledge and perfect information, and I think that's a very very difficult position to be in. I have been in that position. Have you? And I I know yeah. that I have been there. And I was thinking, crikey, you know, am I, am I expected to know absolutely all this information? The only way I'm going to know this information is if I micromanage my people. I, I would argue some people, me included, have considered not going for a role on that basis. I don't have all the answers. And the truth is, actually, the reason I was approached to be considered for a role, which I, in this instance that I'm thinking of, I did turn it down, was because I didn't feel I had the knowledge of my team that I would have underneath me. Yet the reason I was probably approached was not for the subject matter expertise of the people I would have been leading. It was actually my ability to lead, ironically. And I do wonder how many people have turned down jobs on that basis. And you and I have spoken, I think, on a previous episode that businesses tend to hire for technical and subject matter skills, but they end up firing these people because they have the inability to lead, manage and coach their people. And I think IFW has a part to play here is that and you and I have seen this in, in organisations that we work with over the last five years where people manage by their subject matter expertise. I The reason I'm mm. successful as a manager is because I create clones of how I used to be, because I was a top performer and therefore my six direct reports can turn into as capable individual contributors as I once were, forgetting that 90% of the job is not the IFW, it's actually being able to support your people to perform the best they can, um, you know, bringing out their potential. So let me ask you a question then, and I'm, and I'm coming up with this question, so it might sort of go off all over the place, but I'm going, to give it a, I'm going to give it a whirl. Yeah. So how relaxed are you about not knowing 
what other people expect you to know? So I guess I have to consider that to be the assumption of not my team. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine then. Um, much more relaxed than I used to be. Um, because uh, we talk about different styles of, of management and where their default position is. And I think years ago, I felt that I had to be an instructor to my people as well as a mentor, as well as an inspiring leader and a taskmaster. Um, But actually, um, as you recognize that your best people are probably better than you at at the subject matter, um, you learn to let go. And you've talked about a book um, around the person that was an instructor or a coach to tennis players um, and they realised that actually the people they were coaching were more talented than they were mm. um, and actually there is massive value in, in you know look at the look at the best golf players the tennis players the footballers in the world their coaches are not as talented as them but what their skills are are very different and I guess if I then translate that into how I feel um, it's okay I don't know the answer to that because I have a brilliant team to do so um, and my team know that I say that of them which is empowering for them too so answer I, it yeah and i think that's good i i, I remember uh, managing teams and um, i i think that there was a there was a turning point for me and it took me a while to get there and it was about this 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 statement which was and I, and i get this is me feeling slightly nervous about using explicit language but anyway it was Two, two people who reported to me, uh, and I would say, fuck if I know, what do you think? And, and it took me a long time to get the confidence to be able to just be natural and say, fuck if I know, what do you think? And I wonder how many managers and leaders listening to this podcast... <laughs> would also... tune off at this point? No, 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 no. No, I, I, I um, would either see that as a sign of weakness on their part, mm. or... Worse still, they think it's quicker to give them the answer um, because they can get to their own decision quicker. Um, so if I go back to when I first learned to coach as an example, the biggest realisation for me was that I didn't have to give everybody my IFW anymore mm. because I could ask them questions so that they were empowered to think for themselves. And, and over a three-month transition period... I went from having to think on behalf of my eight direct reports and my boss was expecting X, Y, and Z, and I had stakeholders to, to work with uh, horizontally. And I felt completely overwhelmed because guess what? When you give your IFW, if your IFW doesn't work, who do they come back to for IFW option two? You. So that eight conversations becomes 16 conversations, becomes 24 conversations, when actually had you have asked them the questions, they would have been, you know, what else could you do? You know, in fact, if I know, what else could you try? Um, so swiveling this around, if, you, if, if, the, if the default for a lot of people, and we will get into, why, why do people feel the need to give others the benefit of their infinite wisdom as their, as their default position? What's the opposite of that? Um, I don't <laughs> well... So, shall I answer my own question? Yes, please, because I'm unsure how I need to answer that one. 
Well, so what are you giving the benefit of? Uh, it's not infinite fucking wisdom. Uh, it's actually asking people what they think. Oh, I see. And to give them a damn good listening to. So I assumed you wanted me to play stupidity, and then I know nothing. Um, oh, I see. So I get it now. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Sorry, my screen's just locked. Are we still on there? We are. Still oh, great. Okay, yeah, yeah. we haven't been switched off because no. of the rudeness of our. And we should content. point out at this, as as there is a, a brief interlude. Um, we you may hear a pouring drink. It is water this this week, not wine. Yes, um, it's we, only because the wine is actually freezing in the. It probably is freezing by now in the freezer, mm. uh, just to get it cold. Because we don't, we didn't get it from our usual petrol station tonight. We got it from the supermarket, and we couldn't find uh, a cold one. So outrageous, which is not good. Luxembourg, you failed. Yeah, that wasn't good. So, um, therefore, to come back to your question, now understanding a bit of colour behind it, the opposite of IFW to your to your question, in my interpretation, would be someone that one hundred percent empowers the thinking of the other person um, and facilitates their thinking through solid questions to seek a better understanding of their viewpoint. So what a huge shift that would be in the behaviour of that person who, for whatever reason, feels it's necessary to hold the position as the, as the person of wisdom in the office, in the team, in the company, to then go, actually, I, I have what wisdom I have but it may not be as good as yours. I'm interested in your thinking. What a big shift that would be from that position to that position. Hmm. And, I, and I think until people have experienced the reaction of the person for the first time, you don't realise how exciting it is for you as well. Because you don't, as you said to that gentleman you were speaking of earlier, you don't have to have all the answers. <coughs> and we've both got coughs tonight. I don't know where that's going. Yeah, from. we have. I think it's the air conditioning and that racing car we're getting a taxi home in. Um, and I, and I, if I ask the listeners for a second to put yourself in the seat of of the person that's received that question, how that would make you feel? Hmm. I think it would be pretty powerful. You know, if you've reported into someone that has historically always told you what you want to think, feel, and do. Um, and have given you little opportunity for you to demonstrate that you have the knowledge yourself and you sit, you've sat there through meeting after meeting and one-to-one after one-to-one and you just go there with a notebook and pen going, right, what have I got to do this week? And you leave thinking, okay, oh goodness, did I capture it all because I've just bleh at me. Um, how wonderful it would be if they did something that little bit different. So maybe, you know, if you, if you feel you're in that seat as a manager with your manager ping me an episode of this podcast and say, hey, Mr. IFW, you'll get the joke. Listen to the podcast. Don't fire me. <laughs> I think there's a chain reaction here for, for this in, in making that transition from a, from a wisdom giver to a wisdom receiver and a wisdom transmitter to oh. a wisdom receiver. Always a broadcaster. How about that? How about that? Love it. How do you how do you make that transition, and what are all the other things that you have to think about? So my hunch is that a, a wisdom giver uh, is going to more likely be a micromanager. Yeah, I'd does agree that with make that. sense? It does. 
So if you have if you have a sense that your your thinking wisdom has to be supreme, there is a there there is a need for you to have that supremacy over others. Where's that born from? Well, I think that gets into uh, this whole area, which I find fascinating, and I I think there's a little bit of a hangover from the Second World War. Okay. And I'm going to have to justify that, aren't I? Especially when I guess you think of countries <laughs> that weren't necessarily as closely affected. But is it is it almost linked to generational and the world before now? Well, so uh, after the Second World War, people uh, came back from that still uh, feeling the need for control and command. They went straight into management positions, into leadership positions in organisations. And in those days, I wasn't around then, by the way, just in case the listener might, the listeners might feel that I'm really, really old. I'm not that old. And, uh, but I think, I think people who went into those organisations usually stayed with them for an exceptionally long time. Yeah. And so therefore these structures could take root and they could operate control and command. And from the chairman through uh, the chief executive, through the directors and then down through the managers. And there was a, a good old solid old hierarchy and people had jobs for life. And those things, those things were st- sustainable. And, and I, I guess think, unemployment was higher as well, and therefore people didn't want to take the risk of leaving a job. Absolutely, absolutely. So these things were maintained in those cultures. And there's a sort of prevailing kind of wind. You know, it still it still exists. Not as not as bad, I think, as it was. Uh, like in the 80s, 90s. I don't, I don't think we've got that quite as bad, from what I notice anyway. Mm. Uh, there are pockets of it. There are pockets of it. And I think infinite effing wisdom is a hangover from that kind of approach where people are expected to know everything mm-hmm. and they are expected to control and command their people and these people feel that they have to hold the knowledge at their level and not share it down uh, because that that supports their position that supports their role and I see that still mm-hmm. happening I see still that people are still trying to do that here and there not not as much but it's still happening think where it may manifest itself at the moment is of course some of these let's call them old school style of managers are now realizing that the younger generations or the more uh, dynamic generations relocate they change jobs as you say it's not a job for life yeah and therefore um, they feel that they have to keep all that knowledge because they're going to be transitioning and churning people far quicker than they used to be. 
Um, but a conversation that we've had a number of times with with people we've been working with more recently, in fact, in some offices where there are big challenges with staff attrition, is that you need to constantly think about how you can rapidly onboard somebody as quickly as possible so that then they are allowed to think for themselves quicker because they're more likely to stay with you longer if you empower their thinking. And actually, there is, I believe, data that backs up our... Um, um, belief that the less IFW you spout, the longer someone will stay working for you. Um, and that doesn't mean you don't give them answers if they need the answers. They don't know what they don't know. But you know, if you know how many times a direct report has come to you per month asking the same question they've asked you five times before on how to ride their bike. And yet you knowing that they know the answers, still then spout the IFW. And that should be where you say, hold on a second, I need to break this cycle here. Sorry to keep on the bike theme. It's great. Um, it's a brilliant metaphor. But uh, um, actually, if they can ride the bike themselves, why don't you stop with the IFW and actually empower their thinking? Well, what do you want to do differently this time? You know, what's the reality? What's the, what, what could you do differently? What could you do next? And see what happens. Um, and I and I would urge any person in this listenership, um, which seems to be expanding every week, which is very exciting. But is it really? It is. Cracking. The trend is up every week. We've not had a dip yet. Um, anyway, and they are coming back, which is also very good. Thanks for that. And so we started fucking on, you know, swearing. <gasps> um, so for those people that feel that they are the IFW of. Um, of themselves or indeed you see in your organizations managers that report into you that are spouting IFW ask them how many times they have to tell someone to ride their bike when they can already ride their bike and that metaphor is quite powerful you know if you run a factory or an organization or a sales team for argument's sake and they're asking you about how to deal with this particular client situation why is it that you feel compelled to answer that question because if you've hired the right people and they have the skill, they have the ambition, they know what they're doing, but there is something holding them back in asking their manager for the answer, which suggests they don't feel empowered to think without consulting with you, Mr. or Mrs. IFW first. So the, the riding of the bike idea uh, is great. And I wanted to just test that a little bit further because riding a bike requires a number of different skills you know quite hard skills basically when I think of skills I, I, I also think of capability not just those hard skills those hard technical skills of changing gear and pedaling and keeping balance and you know stopping at the lights and all of that kind of thing what about the, the skills required in a team where you need to collaborate, communicate, work with others and be customer facing and customer focused and be knowledgeable about things you need to be knowledgeable about. How does it apply to those other, other areas as well where it's not just a a hard skill of riding a bike but maybe a soft skill of working with other people who are riding along too mm. and being being fair kind respectful with those other people I'm worried about giving an answer because I might be spat my IFW well so that 
is a very good point of when you do and when you don't. And, and, I'm, and just to be clear, I'm hoping you're inviting me to offer up some IFW here. I think this is a moment where I would like to invite you to do exactly that, and Fine. Whilst I go and see how the wine's getting on Very in the freezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See how you get on with that question. Okay. And you will be able to hear me in the background, I'm sure, to respond. Um, so I guess in my experience at the moment, I deal with different levels of leadership in the organisation I work in and clearly when I'm working with other people outside the organisation. And I think what JB is alluding to here, correct me if I'm wrong, JB. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, is if you are part of a senior executive team, you are brought in typically with a single discipline to that executive team. So you could be the sales director and there could be also a financial director. And there is ultimately in those environments a recognition that I am the sales guy that brings in the money and the financial director is the person that spends and controls the money that we spend. Um, is it cold enough? I think it's perfect. Lovely. Um, so um, we're going to get some watery sound effects now. Lovely. Sounds good. That You can tell that's water, wine over water, can't you? Um, anyway, so I think in that environment, there is a recognition peer-to-peer that I don't have to have the IFW. But I have witnessed recently where someone feels they have to know everything about everything even though they don't and they actually are spouting ifw and you can watch other people's eyes rolling when here we go again um they know everything about everything um on you go i'll just sit back and listen and they end up silencing the room and then they wonder why they don't get any new ideas but to answer your question slightly more directly i think in a peer-to-peer environment um there seems to be um, a, a respect of others IFW, but there seems to be a disconnect about allowing people beneath somebody to have that same respect. Yeah, I sense. Yes, I think I think that's a that's a, a, a very good point, and I think the clue is that is in the. It's not quite as good as we only got one bottle though. Yeah, is it? What do you think of it compared to the garage one? Mm, you're right. And it was ten, 10 cents more expensive as well, 575 I think this one was. Warm, yeah, mm. a oh, warm well. offering from the local supermarket. So I think the infinite fucking wisdom idea, the, 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 the rather sort of facetious giving the benefit of it, uh, I think that the clue is in that. And, you know, if, if there is benefit in the wisdom... That is really within the mind of the person who's receiving it. And if the person who feels that it's necessary to keep on relentlessly giving their wisdom, it's almost like that they don't have a real sense of whether this person values it, needs it, wants it, can do anything with it. It's sustaining a position. It's holding a position. There, there is another element that I want to throw into the pot here, and this is probably a, a little bit controversial, but I do know quite a lot of people in the... I've got friends and family in the education world um, 
and pretty senior and um, senior level and 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 other levels and I know that there is quite a a revolution in many uh, educational estab establishments where they are bringing in styles of uh, training and teaching that is akin to coaching rather than uh, what I remember from school which was throwing bits of chalk around and at, you know actually serious beatings and you know being given a cane and and you know and it, and my god it was a great example of control and command and authority and the abuse of power and it, you know it has taken me about 45 50 years to get over my my education mm. and and if there was a uh, a license to let loose a whole load of narcissistic bastards in my education it was in the schools that I went to uh, as a as a as a lad now I'm not saying that that is indicative of everyone's experience of their education clearly not right. and I think and I am caveating by saying that there I think there are big changes in schools these days and I, I I'm, I'm aware of that there was no Canaan when I was at school that was, I think, well, that's, banned about five, six years before I yeah. was born. So. Yeah, <coughs> but I, I, but I think even even at your, uh, at your time at school, I, I would imagine that there would have been uh, evidence of uh, a sort of hierarchical structure, and the, you do as you're told. The older teachers, for sure. Um, but isn't it interesting? And I ask my listeners to think of the same. Um, I wonder what your thinking is. Mr. and Mrs. Listener, or Miss Listener, um, or Ms. Listener, um, just a bit, or, or n neither. Um, God, I have to cover all of them now, don't I? Bugger. Um, You've got yourself in right a mess. Yeah, now. I'm not going to edit it out either. <laughs> Who gives a shit? It's an explicit episode. Um, I've lost track of my thought now. No, I haven't. I wonder, in the ears of our listener, uh, when I say the teachers that you remember as being the best teachers you ever had, how they respected your thinking. Yes, and they were great role models. Completely. But how many teachers of yesteryear gave us uh, a role model of instructive control, command, do as I say, uh, that, that then uh, was what we took from that and went into the workplace, which goes back to uh, this sort of legacy from you know the Second World War to our education to the bosses uh, who are the children of the bosses who had that kind of more control and command led approach it it's taken a long time for that to wash out of our system and the organizations that I do business with where there is evidence of highly directive, highly instructive uh, managers in their organisations, the retention of talent and the development of talent is less. Hmm. No surprise. Yeah. I've seen a famous meme, I think they're called, aren't they? I used to call them memes. And it makes the, it's, it's some quote of a famous businessman, I'm sure, or it's not. It's just quotes to be a, of someone famous to make it more 
credible, but it, it makes the reference of why hire very capable people if you're not going to allow them to think. If you want to hire a robot, then hire a robot. Yeah. Well, I think people come out of university and are, are desperately keen uh, to, to learn mm. and to recognise their choices and to work for a company that recognises uh, their choices and their values. And if they then walk straight into a highly directive uh, organisation or team where they can't learn as much and possibly limited by where the manager's uh, learning has uh, stalled, then they're going to go. You know, we might get them for three to five years if we're lucky. If we train them well and we give them all the resources and we, we know them, we focus them and we value them, we might get them to a point where they are ready to leave, but they won't because they want to stay because it's that good. Mm. And we've talked before about, you know, the two buses that, that are available for you to get onto. You know, the, the one bus uh, has got a clearly identified destination on it and it's got a whole load of people in it who may not be that interested in the people in it but they're very interested in the destination and then there's this other choice this other funny old bus and you know there might be a destination uh, on it somewhere but it's probably covered in mud or something I don't know and it's probably been round the block a bit but my god there's a great party on board and there's some really cool people with some great attitude and it's to me the bus certainly that I'd want to get onto because I'd want to go on that trip with those with with that bunch of people where there's a destination that kind of neglects the the idea of learning and having a bit of a laugh and having a bit of an experience of the trip uh, where you know we all get a, a, a part in building the trip as we go and getting involved with it I, I can think back to being you know post-education wanting to be in that kind of environment and I think I think Millennials are very much more like that and the, the difference between these two environments I've never seen so clearly mm. over the last few years where organizations are on it and working with high values high levels of values and pretty explicitly actually and also focusing on learning uh, for, for the individuals on that bus stretching that me- metaphor a little bit let, let, so playing on the IFW metaphor linked mm. into the bus um, I think if if I was to imagine a seating if I was to look at the IFW people as different colour on a seat map of the bus oh hello right um, I imagine the IFW people would be all sat together at the front of the bus and all the people that report into them would be behind them on the bus whereas on the other bus you speak about where people's empowered power to think for themselves there would be a complete mix match of seating plans. There would yeah. be a Mr. IFW, which are sometimes needed at certain points, yeah. but actually, you know, seniority is not important in a seating plan of that bus. 
Um, and I, I, I look, we're, we're trying to, I guess, translate this into meaningful opportunity for you to take something from this podcast based on some of our IFW. And I would urge you to really think about what people's perceptions are of you. Um, you know, what, what's your default position? Do you, of the percentage of time that you have with your people, how much time are you spouting versus investing people with IFW? Because if you're spouting it, because that's what you think is your role, take a stop and a reflection about actually, why am I needing to do this all the time, if you are? So could one push it as far as this to say, giving people the benefit uh, of your infinite lack of wisdom? Yeah. If you're on about wisdom of, of, of being aware of your own state of mind. As a, as, a, as a filter. So I'm walking into this room, I'm walking into this group, and in there you've got millennials, you've got, you know, some pretty uh, cool people from uh, every, every part of the organisation, sales, marketing, development, um, production, um, whatever it might be, and and you're you're comfortable in your skin. You you can put away whatever you might have in your mind, uh, the interferences that we all have, the, the the legacy of things from the past, some of which you won't necessarily even be able to identify. They are cultural things. They are things that have gone off in the night and they just arrive in your head. Uh, it might be teachers. It might be old bosses. It might be granddad or dad or mum or whatever. All of these things might make you feel that you have to be more down the end of I have to provide my wisdom here otherwise i'm 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 going to be unable to to do this job properly i have to provide this wisdom there is that end and then the other end is uh, actually i need to give these people the benefit of my infinite lack of wisdom and how does that feel to me if i'm if i'm in front of these people and i'm i'm actually not going to do that what am i going to replace it with and then it's thinking about my role. And rather than being a director uh, where I direct off my own experience, off my own thinking, my own history, my own acknowledgement of my, my history, my own insecurity about my wisdom or lack of, I, in, instead... I'm giving that up. I'm giving that up and I'm going to see myself as a facilitator of other people's thinking. And I'm going to make that my function. I'm going to make that my role. That's my life's mission, actually, to facilitate other people uh, with, their, with their learning and their thinking. And that, to me, is when we give people the benefit of our infinite lack of wisdom. The wisdom in that scenario uh, is that we are prepared 
to say, fucked if I know, what do you think? And to complement that, I wonder in my mind, those of you listening that have ever had an experience where you've moved on to another organisation and you want to bring some of those brilliant people with you, but yet they choose not to move because guess what? They don't want to work for you anymore because they loved you as an individual outside of work, but you never allowed them to give the benefit of their wisdom because all the thinking came from you. And that would be a crime, wouldn't it? Well, equally, I think, I, do you know, I think this is a really tough call. I think it's a really tough call for managers and leaders these days to risk those in their team who are dependent on their instruction. And they're quite comfortable with that, thank you very much. Because guess who's carrying the responsibility for all the decisions mm. and all the innovation and all the thinking that goes on around here? The manager. And so for that other person, this is very convenient for me. I just do. I don't have to think. And that means I go home at night not really having to carry all this responsibility on my shoulders. But my boss, that's what my boss does. There was a quote recently where someone actually said uh, to the boss, and I think you're aware of this, uh, when the boss confronted this person and asked them for their thinking, they said, well, actually, that's your job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? And that's that lovely, convenient position to be in. And, and so those people might well be a flight risk mm. because, oh my God, yeah, so how do you manage that transition when, when you go from, right, I'm not going to give you the benefit of my wisdom anymore uh, and I'm, I'm now going to focus on yours. I'm, going to, I'm not going to focus on my thinking, I'm going to focus on your thinking. That's a, that's a tough call, isn't it? It is. Working that through. I'm conscious we're at 50 minutes. Are we really? We are. Oh, um, how can we wrap this up before we migrate our thinking um, to answer with our IFW some requests of IFW from our listener questions? Yes. Well, so tonight has been a bit of an odd one. It has. Because... Little theory. We haven't had one let's get practical. Well, I think we have had a number of practicals. But we haven't played the jingle. But no, we don't need to. Okay. I think for, for the listeners, uh, I think I think we just need to kind of relax a bit. Sometimes Ant and I are just going to, we're just going to shoot the breeze. We're just going to have a little bit of Pinot Grigio and just have a little bit of a chat and see where it goes. Tonight was one of those. Mm -hmm. It might have been practical for you. I don't know. And I just hope that there's stuff in there that might resonate and you can you can think about your own strategy uh, to perhaps move away from being highly directive okay well that's lovely and and perhaps even more appropriate to get even more non-directive and there's some there's some really good uh, things that you can do about that, which which I think we could look at in more detail in another in another podcast. Maybe maybe we're just sowing seeds tonight. 
I think and so. maybe that's okay yep I agree I think f- for me in terms of a wrap up um, of this section or a summary um, have a think about how much time you spend um, uh, giving your knowledge to other people and ask whether you believe that they have the competence to think it through themselves and if you do believe they have it the ability to think through themselves try that question that JB asked perhaps drop the fucking um, yeah, um, but I think that's a good and idea. I'm not as in a practical sense I mean in terms of the question um, but you know um, what do you think and I'd really, be really interested to hear what you think I know, you know I regularly sit here and say what I think but I'd really value your thinking see what happens because I think it, you would be surprised at the reaction you get from your individuals and if they're people you want to keep they're the ones you want to do it to the first first of line I think that's a fantastic um, <coughs> pulling together of, of the main points keep your people by being non-directive so I believe it's time for our, our listener questions we, we should have a jingle for listener questions we really should um, let's go for beautiful <laughs> JB remember is a posh consultant he doesn't do, <coughs> doesn't do that sort of you know disgusting stuff right so we have some post-it questions we have some social media questions which one would you like first? I well, I'm quite keen to see what our listeners think. So the social media, I'm assuming that's what that You're one is. Say that. No, that's but a I'm, post-it note question. I've got in my fingers. Oh, I'm sorry. No, okay. no, no. Well, no, I'm happy to go with the post-it note one. No, no, no. Fine, I'm searching now. Um, okay. okay. One second, please, caller. Whilst you're doing that, I'm just yeah. going to say to the listeners that this explicit episode, this 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 podcast. Uh, will not necessarily be indicative of our future podcasts in terms of its explicit nature. I see. So I just wanted to let the listeners know that this is a one-off. Very and kind of you. I won't be swearing quite as much in future podcasts. It was only to, to talk about IFW. His potty mouth, as soon as his microphone switched off, will be back to its usual dirty self. Question from London, UK. Yes. Uh, how do you transition realistically from being a manager to being a leader? Well, I suppose we have to define what being a manager is and what being a leader is. So I'm going to have a stab at this and think that a, a manager is someone who focuses on uh, achieving objectives and outcomes uh, for an organization and is employed probably by the leader uh, and and in this case uh, I, I imagine that the leader leader uh, is in a in a more senior role so uh, in order to get to that leadership position uh, the manager needs to actually think about Uh, probably three distinct areas. One is to make sure that they never lose uh, their capability of being an in-touch manager and doing what's right for the business and to have the disciplines uh, around process, systems, uh, to uh, always know how to get things done on time. A more uh, tactical day-to-day operational uh, view of life. That needs to always be there. That is one thing that great leaders understand and respect 
and that is uh, particularly with middle managers the stress the stresses and pressures that come uh, from the responsibility of all the things I've just described so then <clears throat> uh, this idea of transitioning to the leader that the leader is uh, more to do with defining a clear vision and really understanding uh, the the current situation and translating the difference between the two. So where are we now and where can we be in the future? If that is one thing, there is another thing which actually defines the leader and that is to inspire people to go from that current reality to the future vision and to understand that uh, absolutely clearly that that is that is hard very hard work to get that inspiration part done uh, as well as the, the the gap done between the practical uh, current reality and the future vision the other part <coughs> excuse me my chest is I think, what's happening in Luxembourg and the the other the other very very important thing that uh, one would have to do in leadership is to campaign like hell mm. uh, to understand how to campaign uh, how to turn boring old presentations into inspiring communications <coughs> uh, on a on an absolute regular basis so so you've got to do that manager thing and understand that. Um, and then understand just how important all of those things are about being an inspirational leader. But finally, I would say, is in that leadership role, is understanding uh, the need to do what's right for the business and also what's right for the people within it. So that was a question for Batilla in London. Um, ah, so my yes. take, just to, and, and everything JB has said, um, has probably taken most of the things I would have said. Um, I think one final thought then from me on this question um, a manager I believe tends to push a leader tends to hold hands so and he's, he's going to get more wine I think or he's storming out and one of the two actually no it was a, it was a stroll um, I think um, as a manager we tend to drive performance we drive we push um, we have tasks, we, we manage those tasks, um, we, we ensure performance towards those tasks and objectives. Whereas as a leader, um, I think you're taking everybody with you on an experience, a journey. And I think that links into JB's vision and, and making it inspiring and campaigning it. And at that point, you're saying we can do this. As a manager, I think it's more about, you know, I'm here to ensure that you do this. So I think that that would be a, a an extra little drip of vino in our alcoholic answer <clears throat> uh, next question do you want from social media or post it I don't surprise me okay I want to stick with the social media this one's a guy called Richard who's based in the USA and his question is can you go to university to learn leadership or is it based on more experiences no to which I, I don't think you can go to university to learn leadership I agree. <laughs> I just don't. I don't think people are born leaders either. But I think until you've experienced... And, and look, I'm talking as a person that's not done university the, the official way. 
um, and I'm in a leadership position. Uh, I wouldn't say I was a born leader either, but actually over the years that I've worked in work, you learn what is a person you'd like to work for and a person you wouldn't like to work for. And um, the programmes, the sorts of programmes that we run, a little advertorial, I guess, for you, Mr. Bradley, um, is actually about recognising the qualities that you need to have to be a great leader and putting it into practice in the workplace that you're in. You can't read a book. You can read a book, but it's not as applicable as, as really having a workshop experience. And at university... I doubt they would give you the ability to bring workplace into that environment, I think. So, I, I, I think, I, do you know, I, I'm feeling it's guilty. Mine, yeah. I'm feeling guilty that I was so trite with my response. I wasn't. No. But I, so I'm thinking, actually, you're going to learn a lot uh, at university about leadership. You know, you're going to learn some fabulous theory, I'm sure. And that's all fantastic that that you know that that is very very useful but when you are leading an organization i think you are the uh you are in charge of a boatload of conversations that's that's what happens and those conversations happen throughout an organization and they are the things that make the organization successful or not. If you haven't experienced being inside an organization and being party to those conversations about the customer, about uh, so-and-so in HR and John in payroll and um, someone else in sales, and you haven't had the conflict and you haven't had uh, the natural um, joy of, of hitting that target and being part of that business, how can you possibly, how can you possibly experience all of that at university? I don't think you can. So I think if you have your university education and you learn loads of theory, bloody brilliant. And if you can enhance that by doing lots of fantastic work experience and life experience, and then you bring that to those conversations inside those organisations, you're party to that, and you're game-changing along the way and getting into that leadership position, fantastic. But you'll learn more on the job having having that experience than, than you will ever, ever learn at uni. And that's a personal point of view. And there we go. I think um, it goes back to a question. I'm not sure if we've been asked it here at various things we've done. Is a leader born? Um, they can be, <clears throat> but more often than not, good leaders learn from experience. Um, and that can include university. Uh, you will be drawn towards people, I imagine, that are natural leaders. Um, and develop these skills but no anyway um i hope richard that answers your question I'm not too sure but let us know if not final question for this week then uh comes from luxembourg ah oh, good on a post-it note which um gives you a clue as to how we got this uh, question submitted to us how do you adapt your leadership he didn't name it 
but um, I, we should give a shout out at the end of this episode to some of our regular listeners. Um, how do you how do you adapt your leadership style if you deal with a group of huge cultural differences such as Europeans, Asian Pacifics, Australians, right through to Americans, North and South? Well, you see, this is doing what's right for the people uh, within the business. This is this is the kind of reverse of it. And that comes down to respect, doesn't it? So it's it's respecting those cultural differences. And I'm mindful of some of the models that I work with inside organisations. And some of those models are what the business requires right now. And they will be uh, tweaked and adapted in India uh, or in America. Um, but the, the fundamental model uh, is... is part of that business's need right now and it you know it, it, it might be focused on uh, business productivity it might be a, a coaching model or whatever it happens to be I, I think that can be adapted in terms of style and you know sometimes it could be perhaps just dare I say it just a little bit more uh, directive than non-directive for example um, however and I, and I'm as I get older and older, I, I begin to realise that you know organisations, good organisations, have have really strong cultures in their own right inside uh, their jurisdiction, in, inside where they work, and that is a pull to to people, whichever country uh, that culture operates within, and the, so there is a way, you know, there's a there's a there's a a Microsoft way, there's an Apple way, you know, there's a there's a way. And I think that way, it, it should not be underestimated and, and should be respected. And and this is the this is a very important point about building a strong culture mm. based on strong values that that actually supports those people in those countries to, to keep that way. Uh, if you don't have that, then you're going to have all sorts of pulls and twists and turns because, you know, with a lot of uh, organisations that I work with, there are departments full of different nationalities. And, Luxembourg is a very multinational and, yeah, country. Yeah, and if you, if you gave way to every single different culture um, and, you know, you didn't have your own way that, that actually should as a means to hold all of that together with respect uh, to those cultures where where you can make adjustments but it's it's almost creating a new way that they can feel comfortable with so I've never felt more strongly in my life that actually values and purpose in an organization hold hold the team together something that they can work on together and allow for difference and similarity and 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 that's i don't know that's my view and that's where i'm gonna sort of hold my position for now but i'm open to to move on that but that's kind of my learning that's my wisdom so far um i think that's a corker of an answer to be honest um and therefore that poses a follow-up question to the person that submitted this question Number one, um, is there a culture that exists in your organisation? 
if there is everything that JB's just said, that is what you champion. Um, and you build on that value. Uh, to JB's point, you walk into a Microsoft store, a Apple store, a any other store, which has a strong culture and purpose. Um, McDonald's, you know, other you know, other brands also out there. And I'm conscious I've been naming a lot of American brands, which is <laughs> frustrating. But nonetheless... Harrods. Harrods, there we go. And, and they are, you know, um, world-renowned brands that people are excited to work for. And to JB's point, their jurisdiction is irrelevant. Now, there is, of course, ways of behaving that vary from country to country. And um, we've talked um, offline, off podcast, about recognising the cultural differences. We have to be honest, when we come to uh, Luxembourg versus Germany and versus France versus the UK, you can have a very different experience of how those people turn up their attitude, um, and so on. But if you have a strong culture in your business, that's what you champion. Um, and that's actually the bubble within their culture. And you turn up into this environment, which is multicultural. Uh, therefore, we have to create our own culture. Which then leads me to my second point, which is if there isn't a culture that exists within your organisation, or even if there is, you should create a microculture within your team. Um, whenever we do programs, in fact, just today, we've created, I believe, an environment, a culture um, mm. uh, within our program. Mm. This is how we are going to exist as one. And when they leave the two days they're with us, we expect them to continue that as a group of leaders within the organization that we've been working with today, as an example. Mm. So I think, and in that room today, I think there were five different nationalities represented plus us six yeah um and the cultural differences are irrelevant it's actually about how you and i turn up in the workplace to create our own culture what are the behaviors we expect to see from each other um, and actually you can make that call you can really invest in people in creating your own culture you know how are we you know what are the things that are important to us as a group of people what behaviors do we need to display to ensure that those things are in existence who's going to challenge people that don't adhere to those behaviors so that would be my add-on to jb's answer so hopefully that answers the question for you i think that's such a great point and i, I hadn't thought about that uh today with all the different cultures in the room because we we had the conversation as we started today about what we wanted in the room and it didn't matter whether you were Italian, South African, French. 20, 60 uh, years old, it, boy it, it really didn't matter because actually what, what they all did today, uh, they, worked, they worked as a team mm. and it was fabulous. And actually then the, the little differences that you see are great and they're supported. Mm. And actually you can have a laugh about those differences because everyone's okay about it, they trust it, and they and and naturally, it, it doesn't matter. It's it you know you celebrate the the differences, mm-hmm. and yeah. and that that happened today. That's a good point. So I hope that answers your question. Um, a quick shout out then to a few listeners. Oh yes, we need to do some shout outs. So Paul, Matt, Paul, Paul, give us your feedback, Paul. It's it's nearly Coaching Friday. Um, Christabel, Christabel, my, that's my wife. Yeah, hello to her, Matthias. Uh, and his wife apparently oh yes he, he did tell yeah. us that his wife also listens so hello to his wife congratulations to you you've got a, a keeper there Mm-mm. oh yeah 
Um, I wish you hadn't done that. What, the, oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> um, Thanks. Um, uh, and, of course, uh, hello to all the celebrities that listen to us. I'm sure you know. You know Kid Jensen Kid, will be listening by now. Of course. Dirk, sure. Is Dirk Anthony a celebrity? Not really. Oh, he, he, he is in many, many people's minds. Yeah. For hopefully all the right reasons, Dirk. Totally. Um, uh, anyway, so um, as you are aware, we say this on most episodes, but I feel it only right that I mention it again. Please leave us a review. And if you love us, please leave us a five-star review and give us a comment. If you don't like us, I presume you've dialed out long before this moment to then uh, hear this uh, request. But tell us how we can improve. Um, we can only improve with your feedback. And we do take it on board. Um, this has evolved since episode one. It's no longer six hours. It's it's one hour fifteen for a start. Um, and uh, so please, I'm not banging on the desk anymore. No, there was only two taps today. I think you were getting excited about oh, an answer, again, but, oh, but one or two taps versus you know, all those things. And, and and I do less errs. I change it into silence. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Uh, oh damn it Um, so any feedback tell us uh, leave us a five star review if you love us please share this podcast with your friends because do you know what unless we reach um, uh, you know stratospheric download numbers we may consider quitting and that would be a crime for all of you losing out on our IFW on a weekly basis Um, and of course please do continue submitting your questions um, we do get lots of questions submitted when we travel around because we tell people about this podcast, which gives us new listeners, which is great. But send us your questions too. If, you've listened, if you're listening to this podcast right now, which we know a number of you are because the stats tell us you are, unless you're all robots, send us a question via social media. You can find either us on LinkedIn or on Twitter, Lead Learn Pod. Lead Learn Pod. Leadership Learning Podcast. So Lead Learn Pod. Um, or find me or JB on LinkedIn uh, or look us up in the phone book. I'm sure our number must exist somewhere. Do they still exist? Don't think so, but let's pretend it does. Okay. Uh, anything? To, to, I've conscious I've stolen the airwaves. Anything to add? Uh, no, only to say goodbye. Oh. How many more podcasts have we got before Christmas? Uh, after this episode not many I think four or five and then we're going to take a little break aren't we we are so I think we are planning to have anything with a two uh, on the day number in December will not be publishing podcasts so I think our last one is around about the 18th of of December um, ish and then we will be back in January but if you have a topic so I believe our upcoming episode podcast was suggested by a listener which was all around how does a leader let go which I think is not too dissimilar to the IFW thing, but we can definitely have a stab at that. But if you have an idea for a podcast episode, let us know. We have four or five more to record this year. We'll then take a two-week break whilst we bask in the glory of our download numbers, and then we'll come back in a new decade. Wow. The 20s. And what a different world that's going to be. It is. Hopefully resolved in many of our political differences, and we can move on with far more interesting topics anyway this has been the global leadership podcast uh with jonathan bradley tickling the frontiers of global leadership do you mean like that as the frontiers that's what i mean yeah not the frontiers as in like nanu nanu well i thought that would be quite funny people could just think about tickling the frontiers of global leadership mm. i quite like that release some oxytocin that could be a nice little little jingle i think you need some more wine uh, and i've been anthony price 
Jonathan Bradley. Yeah, did you did you did you not notice that I'd done my bloody name? Oh, you, you lost me in in stroking my earlobes. Swearing, 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 swearing. So, good morning, good evening, good night, good overnight. Good overnight, everybody. 